My name's Matt. If I haven't met you before, I'm the lead pastor here at Anchor, and I am sitting because I've had knee surgery that went bad a few weeks ago. We just, um, we just want to say a massive thank you to those of you who have been praying for us and, and uh, helping us. Um, I've been uh, bed-bound for uh, two weeks, and um, just really unexpected. A one-night surgery turned into a one-week stay in hospital, and then another week in bed, and We've had sick kids and uh, family pass away this week. It's been a, a tough couple of weeks, but we have felt so loved. We've had people cook us meals. We've had people come around and tidy our kitchen, take our kids to the doctors. Um, this really is family, and so we're so thankful for those of you who have been loving and, and caring for us. And, and I'm also super thankful for um, Brian, who's um, just made everything happen. He, he rang me a few weeks ago, and he said, don't worry about anything for the next week. I'll take care of it. And he just cleared my diary and took everything off my plate. And Alnaldo picked up the preaching. So I'm just so thankful to those brothers who have um, served you well and served me well in that. And, and thankful for a church that cares for each other really practically. Um, in a time where, like, I, I, I don't know, I feel like everyone's cooking meals for each other at the moment. It's just like so many meals flying around. It's incredible. Um, so just thank you. Honestly, it's been a wonderful blessing and it's been humbling to, for someone who's active and fit to be so incapacitated and, and be served by so many. So thank you so much. I just wanted to update you quickly before we get into the sermon this morning on our Sow and Reap campaign, which happened a few weeks ago. We asked you to consider giving towards five projects that we highlighted for you and I wanted to update you on what was given towards each of those projects. We asked you to consider giving towards a, a cross-cultural mission project and $325 was given towards that. And at the moment, we're still praying through who we might give towards. In fact, Brad um, emailed me last week to say he felt the Lord had placed a, a missionary couple on his heart. But if you have other suggestions that you'd like us to consider praying through, then please um, send them our way. But $325 was given to Overseas Mission. Uh, we partnered with Compassion, or at least we will, to um, help increase children's education levels. And $1,050 was given to Compassion. Church planting, uh, we're going to send Dave um, some money. $250 was given towards church planting there, as well as what will be given on the 23rd when he comes. Uh, staffing, $1,025 was given towards future staffing projects. Nothing was given towards the building, and maybe that's just too far off for some of you. Like 10 years down the track, you're like, I'll give to that when it comes. Um, uh, but having said that, um, during the middle of our Sow and Reap campaign, um, this church, along with many others, gave ridiculously generously towards uh, Viv and Jake Leishman. And um, Brian set up an online campaign. I think it's close to $25,000 that has been given, as well as for those of you who gave to Anchor, which will be passing on an additional $875. So we recognize that many of you in the midst of our Sow and Reap campaign have been generous towards Viv, and that is completely fine. We, we love that. So I just want to thank you for your generosity and thank God for stirring a spirit of generosity amongst his people. Um, it's such a, a wonderful thing to be a part of a church that is generous. God has been good to us, super good to us, and so we want to be a generous church. So I'm going to pray, give thanks for that, and ask that God would speak to us through the Scriptures. If you've got a Bible, you want to open it up to 1 Peter chapter 5. We're going to be in the first five verses of that this morning. If you don't have a Bible, the verses will be on the screen behind me. 
And if you uh, have come this morning, you've never owned one, we'd love to give you a Bible as a gift and you can pick one up at the welcome desk this morning. But let me pray for us and we'll come before God in his word. Gracious Father, we thank you that you are good. We thank you that you have been abundantly generous to us and I thank you for the generosity that you have stirred amongst your people here at Anchor to give towards these projects, to give towards Viv and Jake Leishman. Father, I thank you for the people who have been so generous of their time, of cooking meals, of caring for those in need. Uh, Father, I thank you that we get to be part of a family here. And Father, as this shepherd stands before your people, the flock this morning, broken and crippled, I thank you, Jesus, that you are the chief shepherd, that you are on the throne, that you reign, that you are good and glorious, that your word is living and active. And I pray this morning that as I speak, you would take your words, apply them to the hearts of your people, and by your spirit, transform us. We pray this in Jesus' strong name. And those who agreed said, Amen. Um, the fame, I'm, I'm sitting down, I feel a bit like Rick Warren, although I think he sits with like a, a bar table up here, it's a bit higher, but this is my lack of Rick Warren preaching style. Um, I remember reading a, a leadership book by leadership guru John Maxwell, Christian author, pastor, and um, just all-round leadership legend. And I remember reading this statement that he said, he said, everything hangs or falls on leadership. Everything hangs or falls on leadership. And when I first read it, I thought to myself, I feel like it's a bit of an overstatement. I mean, there's a lot of factors that go into the success or failure of an organization or a church. But the longer I've been in leadership, the more I've realized that that is actually more and more true. So much more so true of the church, whose ultimate leader and chief shepherd is Jesus. But everything really does hang or fall on leadership. And to be honest, as I I read a statement like that now, it fills me with a sense of overwhelmed and inadequacy at times of the task that I've been called to as a pastor at Anchor. And it is a wonderful privilege. But I believe that statement is true. Everything hangs or falls on leadership. And we're familiar, aren't we, with the successes and failures of leaders one of my personal heroes has been uh, Pastor Matt Chandler of the Village Church, Texas, head of the Acts 29 network that we're a part of and a person whose leadership I've seen up close and personal, been able to benefit from of sitting in a room with a guy like that. And his leadership is phenomenal. He's a brilliant leader, pastor of the church that's tens of thousands and planted other churches that they've sent off. Um, a wonderful leader whom I admire. But we're all familiar, aren't we, with other stories of leadership failure. Personal heroes of mine within our network that have failed massively. Uh, none other than the, um, the, the Royal Commission into Institutional Childhood, that's ha- um, child abuse that's happening at the moment. There's a, there's a, a huge failure of leadership. Churches, pastors, elders that stand before a commission and say, we didn't report a pedophile to the police because we dealt with them according to our own law. That's a joke. That's a failure of leadership. Churches should, they probably won't, but they should crumble and fall as a result of this commission where they have harbored thousands of pedophiles because they've dealt with them according to their own law. I recognize that many of you here this morning have been burnt 
by church leaders in the past. And it's a miracle of God's grace that you are even here. Or maybe for you this morning, you, you wouldn't call yourself a Christian. And church leadership, pastors, ministers, priests, that just fills your head with suspicion. And, and potentially that's accurate and fair. And so this morning what I want to do is look at 1 Peter chapter 5 and think about the issue of church leadership and eldership. So if you've got a Bible, go there now. 1 Peter chapter 5, starting at verse 1. We're going to read the first five verses. And whilst a lot of this stuff is pertinent to elders, that is, the pastors of churches, these principles that we will see here are applicable to every level of leadership, whether that's leadership in the business world, leadership in the church, leadership in the home. So I hope this is beneficial for everyone. And in the end, if you're a part of a church, then you sit under leadership. And so this is important. So 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1 says this. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and as a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering those over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to your elders. I want to start in verse 4, because I want to ask this question, who is the senior pastor of this church? And verse 4 gives us the answer. It says there, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Peter calls all of the elders or leaders in this church shepherds, himself included, are all really under shepherds underneath the chief shepherd, Jesus. If you've been around here at Anchor long enough, you'll know that we use the phrase that Matt is not the senior pastor of this church. Jesus is the senior pastor of this church. Now, far from being cheeky, and it is a little bit cheeky to say something like that, it's actually a deep theological truth that we want to communicate. And that's why we use that phrase that Jesus is the senior pastor of this church. Because it is his church. Matthew 18 tells us that Jesus builds his church. Or in Acts 20 verse 28, it tells us that Jesus shed his precious blood for the body, for the church. Or in um, Colossians 1.18, it says that he is the head of the body. It's his church. He is the head. He is the leader. He is the senior pastor of the church. But what does that mean? What does it actually practically mean that Jesus is senior pastor of the church? I mean, it's not like he's here. It's not like he gets to make the decisions day by day. That, but at least he should. He should. Because Jesus, in the end, rules his church through his word and guides his church by his spirit. The ultimate authority in this church is not my word. It's not the word of the staff. It's not the word of our external board of references. It's not the majority vote of the congregation. The ultimate authority in this church is the word of God. Jesus rules. He leads. He shepherds. He passes by his word. Everything about what we do, the decisions we make, the structures we put in place, all of that is governed ultimately by the final authority of the word of God. A church where Jesus is senior pastor is a church that is committed to the authority of the scriptures. 
And yet, Jesus also rules his church through people. We've seen God doing that since the very beginning. Adam and Eve were given a creation mandate to rule the earth, to be God's representative rulers on the earth. And God has continued to use people, priests and kings and prophets like David and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, and then in the New Testament, apostles and prophets and elders. All of them are under shepherds, under the chief shepherd Jesus. And it's important to note that the Holy Spirit superintends the calling of elders into leadership in the church. When Paul addresses the elders in Ephesus, as he farewells them, he says this in Acts 20, verse 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Pay careful attention to yourselves and all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God. The Holy Spirit calls, Holy Spirit gifts elders, leaders into God's church. And Jesus leads his church through those people, through his word and through those people whom he calls and gifts. Jesus is senior pastor of the church. No pope, no archbishop, no bishop, no committee. Jesus is the head of the church and he rules by spirit and word. And Peter turns his attention to that group of people here in this letter. We're going to ask the question, why does he single out the leaders? Why does he single out the elders and give them a special word? Well, last week we saw, as Alnado preached from the end of chapter 4, that Peter warns the church of a fiery trial that is coming, of persecution that lies ahead. And when that comes, when trial comes, when battle comes, who is the most likely person to be taken out? It's the leaders. And so as Peter warns of what lies ahead, he wants to call elders who would follow the example of Jesus, courageous, Christ-like, care for the flock. The flock will be harassed, potentially scattered, martyred even. And the church on the margins requires leaders who would lead under pressure. And so he addresses the elders of all of these churches that are scattered throughout what is now modern-day Turkey. And he tells them three things. First, he says, this is what you ought to do. This is your job description. Secondly, he tells them, this is how you should do it. The heart behind doing this. And thirdly, he tells them of the ultimate reward that lies ahead for them. So we're going to unpack those three things now. Firstly, the what. There are two tasks that Peter calls the elders of the church to, and they're there in verse 1. Have a look again. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. Shepherd the flock of God. That image of shepherding is one that's probably slightly less and less familiar for us as we live in big cities and and the idea of rural shepherding is is distant even the way we shepherd today with helicopters and motorbikes is very different from the way that shepherding took place in the new testament but it's used extensively in scripture as an image of leadership god calls israel his people a flock of sheep and calls the leaders the priests shepherds 
And far from being a condescending image, it conveys something of protective care and nurture and love. Peter reminds the elders that this is indeed God's flock. It's his church. And they are stewards of what God has entrusted to them. This is a wonderful, great privilege and calling to be a pastor, an elder or a leader in the church. You know, Peter was, in fact, the original recipient of that shepherdly commission that Jesus gave him. Remember, Peter denied Jesus three times. And then three times in response to that, Jesus says to Peter, Peter, do you love me? And he says, of course I do. Three times he says, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. Peter was the the one, the first amongst equals who stood up as the leader of the early church along with the eleven. And he calls these elders here as a fellow elder to tend the flock, to shepherd the flock. That's their first task. Leaders of the church are to shepherd the flock. Now, what does that mean? It means a number of things. Firstly, it means that shepherds are to feed the flock. They're to teach the scriptures and do what I'm doing this morning. Open the word of God and allow Jesus to speak to your hearts, to teach truth, to apply the gospel to your heart. They're to feed the flock. Secondly, shepherds are to nurture the sheep, caring for them, pastorally shepherding them, praying for them, helping the sheep um, be everything that Jesus has called them to be. Thirdly, shepherds are to protect the flock. One of the tasks that I have been given, have been called to by Jesus, and this is only one, and unfortunately for some shepherds, this is their favorite task, and it seems that they do this every single week as they preach, but one of the tasks is to warn the flock of false teaching, to warn the flock of wolves that seek to destroy and kill. But you know what? It's not actually only the pastors that do that. It's not only the paid staff that are to shepherd the flock. There are many within God's people who are gifted in that way. Probably many who are far better gifted than what I am in pastoral care and shepherding people. And so those who have those gifts will use those gifts to bless and serve others within the flock. But it's the chief responsibility of the pastors, of the elders, to create a culture or structures that would care and nurture and protect and love the flock and shepherd them. And so at Anchor, we believe that the best way for that to happen is in gospel communities and gospel triplets. As you meet with other people and open the scriptures and apply the gospel to your heart, as we appoint people who we believe that Jesus has called, the Spirit has revealed to us, who are suitably gifted and godly for leadership and appoint them as a leader over a small group of people of a gospel community, so that you can be a family on mission. At Anchor, that's the, the structure that we have created to allow that to happen. Because the reality is, if I had to shepherd every single person, if that was solely my responsibility, Anchor would probably tap out at about 40 people, and that's being generous. Now, that was, the, that was the, the core team, the launch team that started. Um, it's, not my, it's not my greatest strength. It's not my, my best gift. I'm called to do it to exercise that duty as a pastor. But we create structures that allow that to happen. And gospel communities and triplets are that. The second responsibility of the elders is that of oversight. You notice he says there in verse 2, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. 
That I, that's, a, that's an idea of supervision or keeping watch over something. Now, there would be some who would take that word and make it a completely separate office. There would be a pastor and then there would be a bishop. But really, those two words are entirely synonymous and interchangeable. And what Peter is saying here is that you shepherd the flock, you keep watch over the flock, you supervise the flock. That's all part of your responsibility as a pastor. Elders are to keep watch over the sheep. That's why at Anchor we track attendance. I don't know if you realize that. We track attendance as best we can on Sundays. We try and mark off on a roll on our database everyone that we saw. Gospel community leaders will track who's attended their group. I don't know if you, maybe that's a surprise to you that we track attendance. And then every six weeks, I get emailed an automatic report from our database that says, this, this person or these people hasn't been to anything in six weeks. Maybe it's time to follow them up. We've built into our structures, our processes, something that's going to help us care for the flock. Because when you get to a church this size of 140 people, you just can't keep track of everyone. And so the gift of technology allows us to do that. But that's the reason we do that, because we believe that's what we've been called to, is watch over the flock. Leadership in God's church is not about position or title or authority. It's about a willingness to care and to protect and to love and to serve. And that's Peter's chief concern as he comes to these elders and he says to them, do these two tasks... But here's the heart behind them. This is how I want you to do them. And he lists three things here. Really, in the end, you boil it down. Peter's concern is that leadership is about character before charisma and godliness before giftedness. He lists three things there. Willingness, eagerness, and modeling. So have a look at verse 2 again. His first concern is that they would do this task willingly. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Desire is an important factor. Willingness. You know, often we think it's humble not to express any sort of desire or you know, um, drive to be in a position of leadership, particularly in Aussie culture. We're suspicious of anyone who, who has ambitions for leadership. And sometimes it's right to be suspicious of that. But... What Peter is saying here is that elders should not be pressured into this position. But they should do it because they're willing. They should do it because there's a desire there, a heart for this type of leadership. And that's especially true for a church that's on the margins. Especially true for a church that's under the pump or facing a fiery trial of persecution. Because no one wants to lead in that, in that position. And so the church may be for, you know, tempted to just force someone into leadership against their will. And Peter says, don't do that. Call people in the leadership who have a desire, a will to do that. I remember having a conversation with um, a guy who was training to be a pastor, studying at theological college. And I said to him, why, why do you want to be a pastor? Why are you doing this? Four years of your life, it's expensive. Why are you here? And he said, oh, because of the need. There's just so much need out there, so why not? Now, don't miss him. Need isn't a bad motive, but here's my thing, right? If, if I was in his church and he said, you know what? I'm not really here because I want to be. I'm just kind of here because I have to be because there's so much need out there. It doesn't really inspire much confidence and leadership for me. Need, it's important. 
But it's not the primary motivation for why someone ought to be a pastor or an elder. Earlier this year, and I forgot to check this illustration with the person. I don't think they're here this morning, so I might get away with it. But uh, earlier this year, our gospel community got to about 28 people. And it was too big. It was out of control. And uh, we hadn't really had a, uh, a process of training up a leader in my group. And we didn't really know where to go. And so I went to my group with the problem. I said, here's the problem. This group's too big. It's not working. I need, I need people to pray about stepping into leadership so that we could multiply this group out. I remember Sam Beckman came to me and he said to me, I'll put my hand up, but I'm only putting my hand up now because there's a need. But I'm praying that God had changed my heart. And as soon as I heard that, I was like, he's the right man for the job. I love that. Because he wasn't just, he wasn't just satisfied with saying, oh, there's a need, I'll do it. I have to do this. He was saying, look, I can perceive a need. There's clearly a need, but I want more motivation than just that. I want this to be a passion for me. I want this to be a calling for me. And so he went away and he prayed about it. And we had the joy of launching Sam and um, Dee Coons to lead a new gospel community in Erskineville earlier this year. It was a wonderful privilege. Peter here is saying, don't lead, don't pastor the flock because you're compelled to because you're pressured to do it because this is a calling a desire as god would have you secondly the second heart that peter wants to see behind these elders discharging their duty of shepherding and oversight is that of eagerness verse 2 again shepherd the flock of god exercising oversight not for shameful gain but eagerly not for shameful gain. Now, he's not suggesting there that pastors shouldn't be paid. That's far from the truth. We know that Paul addresses that extensively in 2 Corinthians. Rather, he's saying here, don't sign up for this if your intent is to be shrewd and dodgy and siphon. Like, don't put your hand up for this if you're Judas, right? That's what he's saying. This is not a job. This is a calling. This is a way of life. And pastors ought to serve with eagerness and zeal and passion and enthusiasm and i'm so thankful that i get to serve alongside brothers like brad and brian who who i see that in people who were not here for the money i mean we employed brian earlier this year he served for over a year for free almost working sometimes as many hours as i put in the week brad we pay one day a week he works way more than that now i don't think that's a good principle sometimes to just expect people to work more than you'll pay them but they serve with eagerness and zeal and passion and enthusiasm. There's a bit of a joke that pastors often hear that says, oh, you only work one day a week, don't you? Sundays, it's the only day of the week you work. And I've heard that a number of times. But you know what the reality is that some pastors start preparing their sermon on Saturday, they preach it on Sunday, and then I don't know what they do the rest of the week. They argue with people on Facebook all week. What a waste of the church's money. Do not pay your pastor to argue with people on Facebook. But you know, the sad reality is that some people are in ministry because it's easy. There's no accountability. In a small church, no one sees what the pastor does all week. As long as they preach a sermon on Sunday, everyone's happy. Visit me when I'm sick, I'm happy. The sad reality, and, and I don't think this is true. I'm not aware of anyone in Australia that's like this. But there are many pastors who fly in private jets, own multiple sports cars, and live in massive mansions. Peter is saying that greed has no place in the heart of a pastor or a shepherd. This is not the place for that. The third motivation, the third heart that 
Peter wants to see for elders is a heart that is willing to live a life that sets an example. Have a look at that. verse 3. So shepherd the flock, exercising oversight with willingness and eagerness. And thirdly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And I think Peter here is reflecting the words of Jesus from Matthew 20, where Jesus said this. But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Culturally, the leadership of the day was harsh and domineering and overbearing and highly authoritarian. And Peter is calling here for a different style of leadership to the one that they see in their culture. You know, it was, um, I was reading in my prep this week that uh, the church in um, the, the Soviet Union under uh, very harsh authoritarian leadership, the pastors reflected the leadership of the culture around them. They couldn't see past the leadership style of their culture and they didn't allow the scriptures to shape their leadership style. And that's what Peter's saying. He's saying, don't let this... Greco-Roman type of leadership shaped the leadership in the church. Lead like Jesus did. This isn't leadership that says, do as I say. This is leadership that says, do as I do. Follow my example. You know, I believe that authority is like soap. The more you use it, the less you have. And that is particularly true in Australian culture. And we have a very egalitarian culture in, in Australia. And we don't want our leaders to be too far above us. We want to bring them down to our level. And so leadership in this context is tricky. And godly leadership is not about driving people with authoritarian force. But it's about being an example and model of the flock. That's why Paul says multiple times in his letters... Follow my example. Follow my example as I follow the example of Jesus. That's why he, as he lists out the qualifications for elders in Titus and 1 Timothy, all of the qualifications except for one, every single one of them bar one, is about character. The only qualification that's a skill is their aptness to teach the word of God. All of them are about character. That's why leadership is always about Character before charisma and godliness before giftedness. That's why Peter says to Timothy, set an example for the believers in faith, in speech, in life, in love and in purity. People need to look at the life of the leaders and follow their example. Now that's true for everyone in leadership really. But it's all the more true for those who are elders and pastors of churches. We ought to be able to say without a hint of hypocrisy... If you want to know how to live the faith, look at me. Not with a sense of pride, but in this way that Peter says, you ought to lead the flock by example, by modeling. John Maxwell again says that the essence of leadership is influence. It's an interesting thought, isn't it, that, that leadership is about influence. In that sense, really anyone can be a leader. You don't have to have a title and a position because we all have opportunity to influence others around us. But what he's also saying there is that leadership is not about control. Leadership is not about control. Controlling leaders are insecure leaders. 
It's not about control. It's about influencing others by setting an example, by being a model. You know, one of the things that my wife Tash and I have been committed to is about being in a gospel community. We, we lead one, but we want to be in one. We want, um, we want to be involved in people's lives. Remember, lots of pastors who aren't in a small group, who never see the lives of their people, their people never see their... In fact, some churches never even walk in the front door of their pastor's house, even though they pay for it. They never get invited, they never have a meal... Tash and I have wanted our, our home to be open, to be welcoming, to have people in our home, to have people see our marriage, to see our family, to see our at times crazy, messy two-bedroom apartment that the four of us live in. We want people to see that. And our hope is that God would use in some way our example to inspire and influence others to continue to live this life for Jesus' glory. Steve Timmis and Tim Chester in their book, Everyday Church, say this, Good shepherds don't drive the sheep from behind by command, but lead the sheep from the front by example. That's what Peter's getting at here. I can't think of anyone in um, my life who I've seen exemplify that more than uh, my last pastor of the church that I came from, um, Multicultural Bible Ministry out west, than, than Pastor Ray Galea, a man who consistently led by example, multiple ways. One of the ways he did that was our church um, was in the middle of a building project. We needed $140,000 in a week. And he stood up before the church and he said, this is what we need to do if we want to get this building happening. This is what we need to do. And here is what Sandy, my wife, and I are contributing to this. And he told the church exactly how much they were going to give. Not out of a sense of pride, but leading by example. He's not the pastor who stands before the church and says, all of you build my church building. I've seen him do it in multiple ways, calling the church to follow his example as he follows the example of Jesus. Here at Anchor, we've got a 30-page um, a leadership handbook. It's big, it's meaty, and we give it to everyone who is going to be a gospel community leader or is going to be a worship leader at the front here. We believe that this is a part of our teaching ministry. And we ask people to read it and we lay out in that handbook all of the expectations that we have for a person in a position of leadership. Because what we want to see is um, we want worship leaders who worship from the stage, who, whose worship here is an overflow of their all-of-life worship of Jesus. We want gospel community leaders to shepherd the flock out of the overflow of them being shepherded by their chief shepherd, Jesus. Leadership is important to us, and so we've got a high bar of leadership here. That's why we say if you join our church, you can't be in a position of leadership that teaches for the first six months because we want to see your character. We want to see the fruit of the Spirit. We want to see godliness. We want to see you being faithful with small things before we'll entrust you with much. Leadership is crucial. Now let me just say a quick um, thing here about um, the authority office of elders. You'll notice in verse 5 there, Peter implies that elders are earthly spiritual authority. Verse 5, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to your elders. That word subject is the same word that he used back in chapter 2 to talk of other relationships of authority between a master and their servant, between a husband and a wife. And so here he says that the elders have authority, spiritual authority in the church. Now, he, pro he probably mentions young people there because of the proclivity of young, and in particular, young men, to think that they know better, 
that they're God's gift to the church. And if they were just given the reins and the steering wheel, they could do this thing a whole lot better than the people who are currently leading it, right? And so, I mean, that was certainly me at 20, right? And most of the young men in the room, maybe in a few years, you'll realize that there's a bit of that in your heart as well. Peter is saying that the elders have spiritual authority in the church. The writer of the Hebrews says this in Hebrews 13, 17. He says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who have to give an account. That's sobering. Let them do this with joy, not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Elders are temporary, earthly, spiritual authority in the church. And despite the fact that many have been burnt and hurt in the past by church leadership, doesn't mean we throw the baby out with the bathwater at that point. Because this is, what, this is the way that God has called his church to be led. By Jesus, through the word, and through suitably called and gifted men who would lead the church. Now, rather than pride or power or position motivating this type of leadership... Peter here says that there is an eternal reward that lies ahead. I'm going to skim through this real quick because we're running out of time. Verse 4. And when the chief shepherd, shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. The picture here that Peter uses is the image of a, a leafy kind of crown or wreath that was given to a, 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 someone who won an athletics event or the Olympics. There would be given this crown. And the crown would, after a, a while, fade and die because it was made of a plant. And Peter here is saying that there is a crown that lies ahead for you that will not fade. And that this crown, look, it's hard to know whether that's some sort of special gift reserved for pastors or really just eternal life itself or, or maybe just the joy of knowing that you serve Jesus wholeheartedly and there are ways that um, in ministry, whether you're a pastor or just a leader in the church, that all of those things that you do, half of them go unnoticed Peter's saying it's worth it. You will be rewarded. Whatever that reward is, it's worth it. Let me say a quick word on um, eldership at Anchor. If you've been through our Connect course, you'll know that we believe that the local church is governed by a plurality of male elders. We don't believe that, that Anchor is governed by an external denomination, by bishops or archbishops, but that the church is governed locally by elders. Now, currently, I'm the only elder um, at, at Anchor. We've got two other staff members, Brian and Brad, but I'm the only elder and we've got an external board of reference for other pastors for, for, for the sake of accountability who oversee us externally. But our, our aim, our hope, our goal is to get to a point where we have our own internally appointed elders who would govern and lead Anchor. That's where we're heading. But you know, in the end, every single human shepherd is defective and will let you down. It's a reality. Every single human shepherd is defective and will let you down. But Jesus, he is the good shepherd. He is the good shepherd. John 10 verse 11, Jesus says this, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Jesus is the type of leader who did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He was the one who did not consider equality with God something to be clung to, but gave it up, humbling himself, becoming like a human, becoming a servant, and becoming obedient to death, death on a cross. That's the type of leader that we have 
as the senior pastor of this church, the good shepherd. That's upside down leadership. You just don't find leadership like this anywhere else but in the person and work of Jesus. You know, your, your boss, um, he or she cares about your performance and your family will care about your welfare and your friends about your happiness. But Jesus cares about your soul. He cares about your soul. And you will never find more joy and satisfaction than knowing Jesus, your chief good shepherd. The good news of the gospel is that the good shepherd has come to serve you. It's not that you need to serve him enough that somehow your good works will make you acceptable to him. And in fact, the sting of the gospel is that unless you let Jesus serve you by dying for you, you are not acceptable. Jesus is the good shepherd. And there is great humility in being served. There's great humility in, um, in saying, I need help. And it's often just stubborn self-sufficiency that says, I'm right, I'm good, I don't need help. And there is great humility that's required to say that my soul is sick and I need a spiritual doctor. Jesus is the good shepherd. In 1 Peter 2.25, Peter says this, for you, were like, uh, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. You were like a sheep wandering, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Who's your senior pastor? It's Jesus. He cares for your soul. And there is not a single person in this room this morning who does not need Jesus today. We're sheep. We're prone to wonder. We're prone to get lost. And maybe today you're far from Jesus and for the first time you recognize that he's the good shepherd who is calling you to come back. Maybe you've just wandered from the good shepherd and it's time to come back today and remember the gospel. Remember that the good shepherd has laid down his life for you. Psalm 23 says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Friends, there is no one here this morning who does not need a shepherd, an overseer for their soul. And so as we respond this morning in worship and in the Lord's Supper, as you come forward to our two stations to my right and my left and you dip the bread into the grape juice and eat it, do that remembering that Jesus is your good shepherd, that he has laid down his life for his sheep and he calls those who are his, they hear his voice and come. And so this morning, come remembering the good shepherd, remembering that Jesus is senior pastor of this church, that he oversees your soul. I'm going to pray. The band's going to come up. We're going to worship and respond. So let's do that now. Jesus, we thank you that you are our good shepherd. We thank you, Jesus, that you gave your life for us, that you laid your life down. Father, we 
know so often that we are prone to wonder. Our own stubborn self-sufficiency says that we don't need you. But we know the reality is that we do every day, today included, myself included. Father, would we come back to our chief shepherd. And Father, I pray for the leaders in this church, for our gospel community leaders who serve, who shepherd, who partially care for people. Please fill them with your spirit for that task. Help them to continue to walk with faithfulness under their chief shepherd, Jesus. Pray for our staff, uh, Brad and Brian, myself, our families. Guard our marriages, protect us, keep us from error. May you continue, Jesus, to lead this church for your glorious name's sake. And those who agreed said, Amen.